And this morning, Dr. Brenda is bringing our message. my microphone on? Okay. I don't know how to operate this thing. Anyway, pastor called me last night and he asked me if I'd bring the word today. And I'm, I was extremely honored because I understand the responsibility of this is his pulpit and you are his sheep. And uh, it is a great honor. For those of you visiting, obviously, I'm not the pastor. I am the campus director here for Life Christian University. And the thing of it is, I have many students here today. And for the last couple of years, I have been teaching one of the subjects I teach is homiletics. And that's how to preach. So you can be absolutely sure that my students are here grading me today. (laughs) You know, I'm sure of it. And to tell you the truth, I mean, one of the things is um, presentation and how you present yourself, how you dress. I changed my clothes five times this morning, okay? So, anyway, I'm going to go ahead and open in prayer, but again, I, I do just want to say we have the most awesome pastor in the world, the best pastor I've ever had. So if you are visiting, make sure you come back and meet and hear our pastor. Amen. So let's open in prayer. Father God, we are so grateful for this day. Lord, we're so grateful for your presence. We're so grateful for your Holy Spirit. We're so grateful for the living word of God. We're so grateful for this body of Christ. And Father, we're grateful for our pastor. So, Lord, we take this time right now as a body of believers to hold him up. Father, we we come together this morning to, to worship you, but also to bring you honor and glory and and to encourage our pastor, to to just let him know that that we're here for you. We love you. We we're we're holding him up as well. So, Father, we just welcome your presence now and and Father as I know that when I'm called to preach at 8, 9 o'clock at night, I, I know that the message is definitely yours. It has to be you doing the preaching, Father, and it's not me. So I'm asking you to, as I have prepared, that you would anoint it, that you would bless it, Father, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to the hearts of the people here, the message in their language that you desire for them to hear. Father, that we would be drawn closer to you and that you would be glorified. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of my message is The Problem with the Pattern. And my text is only three verses. It's in Hebrews chapter 8. Verses 5 through 7. But I want to start with saying the problem is not your spouse. The problem is not your boss. 
The problem is not your bank balance. The problem is not your next door neighbor. The problem is the pattern. The message today is about identifying some patterns in your life that may need changing. There are four things that will affect your pattern. Your perspective, your position, your practice, and your potential. Now, yes, I'm a teacher. I am not a preacher. I'm really not a preacher, but I'm a, I am a teacher. So everything I do, I want to give you handouts, and I want to give you fill-in-the-blanks, and I want to give you outlines, and I want to give you points so that you can follow along and grasp and, and comprehend and understand what I believe God wants me to share with you today. So I'm not going to run up and down the aisles because I will forget my notes, okay? So we all have different gifts and callings, and God uses each and every one of us. And so I say to you, for each and every one of you, to just be the best you that you can be. That's what I tell my students. Be the best you. Be who God calls you to be. So like I said, my text is only from these three verses, and I'm going to read from the NIV. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator of. It it is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. For there, if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another one. So your first point would be your perspective. The four things that would affect your pattern, number one, would be your perspective. That's your point of view. All the service of the priest under the law, as well as everything in that tabernacle, was framed according to the pattern that God gave Moses on the mountain. A couple years back, I taught a tabernacle Bible study here, and we really went into that and how God gave him specific. And if you've read the tabernacle, you know God gave specific instructions, directions to Moses, the size, the shape, the color, the thickness, the width, everything. God gave him specific instructions. God gave Moses a pattern. God has a pattern for Christian Center Church. Pattern is described as an accurate representation presented in a vision to Moses of the heavenly sanctuary. Verse 5 calls them a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Well, 
in the tabernacle, the furnishings were like in the outer court. There was the, the altar uh, for burnt, burnt offering, and there was the bronze laver. And then you went into the inner court, and there was the, the holy place was the tabernacle. Of the tabernacle was the, was the showbread, the table of showbread, the golden lampstand, the altar of incense where the prayers of the saints were offered. And then there was the inner court. The, the most intimate place of God where the priest would go just once a year, where the Ark of the Covenant was, which was covered by the mercy seat. This was specific. God gave Moses specific a specific pattern, specific instructions. Exodus 25.40 says, See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. In the original manuscripts... The meaning of these verses state that Moses is admonished of God when he is about to make the tabernacle. Literally, what he's saying here, to complete it. Not in the sense of finishing something that had already begun, but carrying out a new design. A completely new design. He wanted... Moses to complete the work, a completely new, something they had never seen, something they had never known, something they had never experienced before. In the sun, we see our shadow, but not our substance. We must remove all of our preconceived ideas we must remove all of our preconceived ideas. When we did have a church, when I, I did pastor, our, the one thing that God gave uh, the one thing that God gave us when we pastored our church, the one thing that God said to us is to remove all preconceived ideas. Let Jesus out of the box. We have these preconceived ideas of the way things are supposed to be, the way life is supposed to be, the way you know, Christianity is the way church is, the way we have preconceived ideas about, you know, the way work is, the way marriage is. We have preconceived ideas. But we must remove all of our preconceived ideas because it's God's perspective we're after. A heavenly perspective. There's a, you see here, there, the key is there is a problem with the pattern if it hasn't changed your perspective. You have a problem with your pattern if it hasn't changed your perspective. And then number two, I said the four things that change your your pattern is your position, your motive. Every person, as well as every church, is driven by a philosophy a perspective. Philosophy is defined as acceptable underlying conduct, thought, or knowledge, a particular system of ethics and morals. Philosophy is how we think and act. The philosophy for this church, I would say, is that we want to be known for what we stand for, not what we're against. 
the philosophy of grace. Your philosophy determines your pattern. The route you take is determined by the destination. You don't take 19 North if you want to go to St. Pete. I might because my sense of direction is definitely backwards. But you know what I'm saying. In this portion of scripture here in Hebrews 8, 5 through 7, scholars believe that the author was teaching on the subject of divine enlightenment. In other words, revelation. The role of revelation and how we come to realize and know the truth of who Christ is and what he has truly done for us, his completed work. Plato was a Greek philosopher. And no, I'm not promoting Plato, but I want to tell you a little story. He was a great mathematician, and he was born in 427 B.C. He was the founder of the first institution of higher learning in the Western world. When studying the subject of enlightenment, Plato says the most important and difficult concepts or or ideas and beliefs to prove are the matters that we cannot see but just feel and perceive. In other words, it's harder to prove what we feel and believe than it is what you can put your hands on, what you can touch. So he included in, you know, In his book, The Republic, he included uh, his famous allegory of the cave. Have any of you here heard of Plato's allegory of the cave? Have you heard the story? Great, because I'm going to tell it to you. So it's a hypothetical scenario that deals with the subject of enlightenment. What is enlightenment? It's to come to the realization or knowledge of something. We all need to come to the realization and knowledge of something. When the lights come on, aha, I never knew that before. That's called growing, right? Well, a group of men were in a cave, and they were chained together. They can't move their heads and they're staring at a wall. They've been like this their entire life. Behind them is the opening to the cave. But because they can't turn their heads, they never see the opening. Beneath the opening is a shelf, and on that shelf is a fire projecting onto the wall. This is the only thing these men have ever known because they've been chained together since childhood. Projected onto the wall is their shadow. They have only ever seen their shadows. Projected by a fire they've never seen. 
Plato states that if people were to pass by or pass objects in front of the fire, objects of wood or, or metal, and it was projected onto the wall, the men would assume that those shadows were the objects. Like a puppet, you know, projected on the wall when we do those hand puppets, because I do this and the light is like, you know, hand puppets that we do with our kids. The men would assume they were, uh, that they were objects. They assumed that what they saw was all there was. They would name things without knowledge based on their limited exposure. Imagine a man behind the men begins to make noises. The men would hear echoes. And they would assume that the noise was coming from the shadows because they don't know anything's back there. They've never seen it. They've never heard it. They've never experienced it. They don't know it exists. Our concern today is for our generation that they're living in a world of echoes and shadows. We live in a world of echoes and shadows. We're facing the wrong screen and we are assuming that what we see is all there is. Plato ends his allegory with... If one of the men who had been chained from childhood ever got released and was let out of the cave, his eyes adjusted and he started to see. If one man was forced to get up and turn his head and see the real world, smell the real flowers, walk in the real grass... See and feel the real sun and not the shadows. Something beyond shadows. If God could set one man free to get out and see what is real and get out and have an effect on those around him. You see, the key here is there is a problem with the pattern if it hasn't changed your position. If you're stationed looking at a wall and don't even know it and you don't know all there is back here, all there is out there, there's a problem with the pattern if it hasn't changed our position. And then I said that another thing that will affect your pattern is your practice. What is your practice? Well, your practice is your lifestyle. Excuse me. Moses was warned to make sure that what he learned on the mountain that he put into practice when he got down. That's one of the essential Courses, truths that we try to teach at Life Christian University. One of the first classes that are required is Christ-like character. Teaching a lifestyle that looks, what would Jesus do? 
That's why I tell them why I change my clothes so many times. Because one of the things I tell them is we represent Jesus. And especially when we take the position of a pulpit. We represent Jesus. We have to bring him honor in our life. So when you go up, you must come down. What you hear from God on your mountain time experiences, you must make sure that what he instructs you when you come down, you put in into your everyday life. You spend your time with God to hear from him. You read, you listen, you pray. Believe me, this was not the message that I picked. But it's what God told me to share. Maybe I'll get a chance someday to, in the next five years to preach the one that I, that I picked. Amen? But there's a gap in our life between exposure and execution. Make sure what you believe on the mountain you build when you come down. Don't just talk the talk. Walk the walk, in other words. We can all talk the talk. Amen? We can all talk the talk. And the more we're exposed to the church, we know how to speak Christianese. Yes? So we need to walk the walk. Amen? That's, that's part of serving the Lord, bringing him glory. Make sure what you believe on the mountain you build when you come down. Follow through with your commitment to God. Follow through with your commitment to God. Constant Exposure to greatness without commitment for execution is a formula for frustration in yourself and in those who are following you. Do I need to repeat that? I'm going to say it again because I have been that kind of frustrated I understand that. I've been frustrated with myself, and sometimes I've been frustrated with others, maybe those in authority over me, or, or, but I've been frustrated. And it's constant exposure to greatness without a commitment for execution is a formula for frustration. A, 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 an example. Personally, I happen to think our pastor is great. I mean, he is anointed, he is appointed, he is great, okay? I believe that. And I've been around a lot of preachers over many years. Our pastor is great and we're blessed. But I don't always, and I don't know if he's going to hear this, but that's okay. I don't always agree with him 100%. I don't. There are many, many different things that he does different. 
than I would have done. Amen? I don't necessarily agree. Let me tell you, when I came here and I sat on the pew for two years before I had an opportunity to to even teach a Bible study, it was hard. It was hard because I have a mouth and I want to talk and I want to teach. That's my passion. But he wanted to make sure that I was committed. He wanted to know me. He wanted to know he could trust me with his sheep. Do you understand? This is just an illustration, just an example of, of where I'm saying, if I had not been committed to sit there on that pew, if it took 10 years, if I wasn't committed, I would have been frustrated. But I was committed. You understand? And that's just an illustration because I'm not always committed in every area of my life. And I have learned you can be frustrated. It can be... So if you're you're exposed to greatness, but you're not committed to following it, you find frustration in yourself or for those who are even following you. They're going to be frustrated. Your lifestyle affects other people than just yourself. So a philosophy to glorify God is good, but how do you put it into practice? It is important for us to have a good pattern, but in order to accomplish what God has called us to do, there must be a pattern. A copy of a copy won't work. It gets cloudy, And the format has changed. I have to make so many copies. You can ask Faith how many reams of ink and or or reams of paper and things of ink she has to buy me for all the copies that we make for the college. But if I don't keep my master copy clear, the other copies begin to fade out. And they're not as clear and and not as legible, and the students have a problem with them. And I'm also not representing the school with excellence when I hand out sloppy syllabuses, right? So a copy of a copy doesn't work. I've been praying for a very long time, I mean for years, for a multiplication anointing. Recently, I heard a message where a speaker said that in multiplication, now I was not, math was my weakness in school, okay? But that multiplication, in in multiplication, the problem is the pattern. The problem, like, for example, 10 times 5. The problem is 10 times 5. But the pattern is... Ten fives. That's the pattern. Okay? Ten groups of five. That's the pattern. The problem is ten times five. The answer to the problem is also called the product. If you don't like the product... 
You've got to change the pattern. Some of us spend our whole lives focusing on the product, trying to fix the product, trying to fix the end results. The product is not the problem. The end result is not the problem. The problem is the pattern. Don't pray about a product when you're not willing to fix the pattern. The problem is the pattern of your response. Sometimes we're trying to fix with miracles what can only be addressed with mechanics. You can't you can't heal or fix or restore with more passion what bad patterns have created. It is like turning up the volume on a bad song. You'll change your life when you change your pattern. We want to change the product, but God is pointing to the pattern. Key to this point is there's a problem with the pattern if you haven't if it hasn't changed your practice. So there's a problem with the pattern if it hasn't changed your perspective. There's a problem with the pattern if it hasn't changed your position. There's a problem with the pattern if if it hasn't changed your practice or your lifestyle. And the the final point is your potential. You have been, Scripture tells us, you have been endued with power from on high. You may have patterns in your life that are sabotaging your successes. Patterns that keep you staring at walls, staring at shadows, Listening to echoes. Remember this, remember about Elijah in 1 Kings 19, where he was hiding from Jezebel after raising a young man back to life? He's hiding in a cave. God's voice was able to enter the cave, but God's vision was waiting on the mountain. Let me repeat that. God's voice was able to enter the cave. And we all have caves. We all have caves. We all love to go and hide in a cave. Amen? And God's voice can enter the cave. But God will speak in the cave, but he'll only show you what is next on the mountain. He will still love you in the cave, But you won't experience all that God has for you on the mountain if you stay in the cave. Your cave could be 
One small offense, like the threat Jezebel made against Elijah. I'm the only one left. He was bragging on Mount Carmel. And now he's in the cave running scared and saying the same thing. But this time he's complaining. The source of his greatest power on the mountain was also the source of his deepest pain in the cave. Shadows and echoes. So, in conclusion, the problem is the pattern. Four things I said that will affect your pattern, your perspective, your motive, your lifestyle, your potential. But God is saying, come out of the cave. God is saying, come out of the cave. So, four patterns to be examined that uh, may need changing in your life. Patterns, maybe, that we have created, that you have created, that have locked you in a cave. Now, I use those, what are those, acrostics? Cave, C-A-V-E. C, comparison. Oh, I heard you all take a deep breath there. I do it too. I do it every time. When I thought of having to come here today, <laughs> don't you think I, that the enemy wasn't whispering comparison in my ear? David realized that the best protection for him was not Saul's armor, but that which God had provided for him, the name of the Lord. David tried to face the giant the way it had been done in the past. He tried to do it the way others had done it, but it didn't work for him. He was called to be himself. No comparison. Cave, C, comparison. A is assumption. Seed of ignorance planted in the soil of arrogance that reaps a harvest of confusion. Assumption. The seed. Did I say arrogance? Well, that was a Freudian, huh? I mean ignorance. But it works, huh? Seed of ignorance planted in the soil of arrogance that reaps a harvest of confusion. You know, the spies said that, you know, we were as grasshoppers in their eyes. They came to a conclusion without even having a conversation. Assumption. Sometimes our patterns are that need changing is are affected by our comparison, by our assumption, and by the vulnerability. I love to connect with people who are willing to be vulnerable. I think most of us do. 
because we know there are no pretenses, there's no, there's no walls, there's no... Ray Gibbs, that's why we loved your preaching in chapel. You made yourself vulnerable. Had to give him an A. Amen? But I'll tell you, vulnerability is... We have to realize that we impress with our strengths, but we connect with our weaknesses. Amen? It wasn't until in my life, it wasn't until I was willing to be vulnerable and transparent that God was willing to use me. To tell my testimony, to tell my story, I, I thought I had created, I had the worst sin in the whole world. You understand? I had the worst sin in the whole world. I, it was in the closet, and I did not want anybody to know it. And as long as I kept it in the closet, I had to struggle with pretending to be someone or something I wasn't. And that is so much energy and so much work, and it's so difficult And it's so hard. And I'm always afraid somebody was going to find out. And then when somebody did find out, it always hurt so much because people can be cruel. God kept saying, disarm the enemy. Disarm the enemy. Disarm the enemy. Make yourself vulnerable. Make yourself transparent. Give it to me and let me handle it. Give it to me and let me do something with it. Amen? Amen? So I got so tired of carrying it around. And it's just how it felt. I got so tired of carrying the weight of my sin and shame around that I said, I quit. I give up. If everybody in the world rejects me, I don't care. God won't. God loves me. I'm going to give it to him. So... I decided to write my book, okay, A Woman Made Whole. Well, people, I tell you, if you knew my story, if you knew my testimony, you wonder how I ever got here. How did I ever get here? Amen? People who know me, who've known me all my life, would say, yeah, how did she ever get there? That's how I got here. That's how I got here. Had to change the pattern. I had to change the. I had to become vulnerable. I had to become real. I had to stop pretending I was something I wasn't. I had to be transparent. I had to be honest with myself and with others. Oh yeah, when I first wrote the first copy, the publisher comes back to me and she's, or my editor comes back to me and says, "Uh." You're not being transparent enough. You said you were going to tell, but, but, and it was a struggle. It was a struggle. It was, it was a struggle to get to the play where I was willing to just put it all out there and then have people read it. You know, now you want to know what happened? As soon as I gave it to God, it feels like it don't even belong to me anymore. Because it doesn't. 
as I, as I tell the ladies when I minister to women, I tell them, you're trespassing. Christ bought my past with his shed blood. It doesn't belong to me anymore. He gave me a new name, a new nature. I'm a new creation in Christ. Amen? But that old life where the enemy wants to take us, the things he wants to remind us of that we did, where we come from, it doesn't belong to me anymore. He says it's like I, I, I sold Walt a car. We, we, my mother really did. Poor guy, he's still driving it. But, and it's his car. He bought it. He paid for it. He owns it. So I go over his garage and I just hop in the car and I'm going to take it for a ride. I'm not, I can't do that. It's his car. He bought it. It's the same way when we visit our past. It's the same way when we hide our past. It's the same way when we don't want to share whatever, you know, we don't own it. It's not ours. Yeah, we don't have to air our dirty laundry, but if God wants to use it, it belongs to him. Okay? And all I can say is God really wanted you all to hear that. Because that's the V part of the cave, vulnerability. Take off your veil. When Moses, he wore a veil to hide what was fading away. What we have is not passing. And in Christ, the veil is already taken away. Take off your veil, your pretense. We need a me too ministry. You've heard that saying. I mean, I've heard preachers call it a me too ministry. And it's relevant today. You've been there? Yeah, me too. You have problems with your marriage? Yeah, I've been there, me too. You have problems with your kids? Yeah, me too. You have problems with your finances? Yeah, me too. Me too. Me too. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We're a me too church. And that's what we need to be there for our pastor. Yeah, me too, pastor. We understand Amen? We love him. We love his family. Me too. I've been there. Take off the things that make people think they can't relate with you. Take off that self-righteous garb. So there's comparison. Assumption, vulnerability, and expectation. If those people who are being baptized would just follow um, Carla to the back now, we're going to have a baptismal. So, E for expectation. Raise your level of expectation. Your problem is the pattern. Jesus is our pattern. Anything that you're, that's not Jesus, what would Jesus do? Jesus is the pattern. Jesus is who we fashion it, our, our lifestyle after, our choices after. Jesus is the one. Our perspective, what would be his perspective? 
our position, our, you know, our motive. What would Jesus do? Jesus is our pattern. Then we're to look past the problem and you'll see the promise that God made to you. It's in disguise. Now go back into the cave and show people that are still in chains what real freedom looks like. The problem with the pattern when it hasn't changed When it hasn't changed your practice, when it hasn't changed you, there's a problem with the pattern. Amen? We have a problem with the pattern when it doesn't look like Jesus. So I'm just going to invite, she's up back, I'm going to go ahead and close us in prayer and uh, turn it over to those doing the baptism. Amen? Father God, we just humbly bow before your holy throne today. We thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for encouraging. Thank you for directing. Thank you for instructing. Thank you for convicting. Thank you for directing. Thank you, Lord, for being our heavenly father. I just pray now that you'll take this word embedded in deep into each of our our hearts that we might live a life of excellence worthy of our calling that brings you glory. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.